What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Season 5, Episode... We'll call this Five and a Half. A little bonus episode this week. Our first guest on the podcast. Talking Mets with Rob on YouTube. Make sure you go check him out. During the, At the end of the interview, I'll have him give out the information to where you can follow him and all that good stuff. But sit back, relax, and enjoy the first guest on the Raise the Apple podcast. All right, everyone, we are here with Talking Mets with Rob. All right, first of all, thank you for coming on today. Uh, let's dive right into it, talking about the Mets. So the Mets make all the moves that they've made coming into the offseason. They go out and get Max Scherzer. They go out and get Chris Bassett and Marte and Mark Canna from the A's. Then they bring in Eduardo Escobar out of Vino. All these guys they bring in, how does this push or put them in a position to compete in 2022? Well, it definitely puts them in a position to win, that's for sure. You know, with all the professional bats that they brought in with Canna, Marte, and Escobar, and then with the big acquisition uh, signing of Scherzer, you know, it just felt like the Mets were really trying to change the clubhouse. As we all know, it was toxic last year. And what they brought in this year was guys that are good clubhouse guys and not only that, good quality bats. And when it comes to the acquisition of Bassett, it just solidified the rotation, especially pushing back Carrasco and Walker to the fourth and fifth spot. It just makes this team, you, you feel like there's hope. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like right now. Like, I feel optimistic, not pessimistic, like I usually am as a Met fan. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> being optimistic is something that we're not used to. And it's nice to know that we can go into the season if this team needs a bat during the trade deadline or an arm uh, in the rotation or the bullpen. We know Steve Cohen and Epler are going to do that. And there's something different. We're not used to that. You know, every year we're, we're bargain basement looking for a player. And now we know. That big arm, that big bat, if we need it at the deadline, there's a guarantee that we will actually get it. Mm-hmm. Looking at this team now, that with all the moves they made offensively and in terms of pitching, the big topic going into the offseason was two, or at least the way I saw it, there were two big things that the Mets were going to have to address. And that was between Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, and Michael Cafordo were. A lot of people are saying they got to keep one of them, if it, and it doesn't look like they might. It, you got Javi going to the Tigers, Stroman going to the Cubs. It doesn't look likely they'll keep Conforto. And then the other thing was, in addition to what are they going to do with those three, was the other group of three with JD, Dom, and McNeil that everyone's saying, oh, one of them's probably not going to be back next year. And as we get closer and closer to opening day, all three of them are still here. So looking at both of those groups, how do you think the Mets have, I guess for lack of a better word, handled how they've dealt with those? Um, I think they handled it pretty well. Uh, as I said it in, with my previous answer, the, the toxic environment that was in the clubhouse and the dugout, I just think they did not want to deal with Stroman and his attitude and his, his, his ways. You know, one day you know, he talks about positivity, but yet everything's negative out of his mouth. And then with Javi Baez, I think that he was a bad influence on Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. Even though they're best friends, it felt like they divided the locker room even more. You know, I I remember last year, I think it was against the Marlins when we won that game, when Baez uh, came around home in that game to win the game uh, on a bad throw. And he was, and you see Stroman and Lindor going right to Javi Baez and celebrating when you see Alonzo J.D. Davis going to Michael Conforto uh, at mm-hmm. second base who got the hit and 
it just showed a, a divide within the clubhouse. And when it came to those three guys, Strowman uh, and Baez, and I guess you can say most likely Conforto in this situation, I just felt like they wanted to change the entire environment. Now, granted, would the Mets be better if they had Baez, Strowman, and possibly Conforto? Some can say yes, some can say no. I just felt like, you know, the performance on the field, at a certain extent, sometimes it actually means that, yeah, it could be good, but it could affect the clubhouse as a whole, and I think it hurt other players. And then with the other guys, McNeil, Davis, and Smith, I'm surprised two of them are not gone. I mean, J.D. Davis basically gave a farewell message thinking he wasn't going to be back in the offseason. And Jeff McNeil, I thought he was gone. I thought the Mets were going to trade him for something. Last year, the teams actually were trying to trade for McNeil, and the Mets never pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the Mets are trying to give McNeil another chance. I think they like Dominic Smith uh, just because he is versatile in a way. You know, he can play left field, not great, but he's, he's serviceable. And I think they want that good backup for Pete Alonso. J.D. Davis, I've been saying this for a couple of months now. I think J.D. Davis is the perfect DH. You know, because he can't play the field to save his life. Mm -hmm. But he definitely, uh, I think, can easily hit 25 home runs and bat 280 in this lineup. And, you know, I got a lot of backlash on my channel alone just for saying that. But I feel like, you know, Robinson Cano is probably going to be off this team by June. I think they're going to buy him out. And I think J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith are going to platoon the DH spot. And you know what? I'm shocked that all three of them are here, and the other three are probably not here. Any, well, most two out of the three are not here. Uh, I still expect Conforto to be here. I feel like the Mets are just waiting for Conforto, Conforto to climb back mm -hmm. to the Mets, honestly. And you know what? At this moment, the lineup might need it because we don't have a lot of power in this lineup. Mm -hmm. But definitely surprised that McNeil, Dominic Smith, and J.D. Davis are still on the team. At least one of them I thought would be gone. And the same thing with the other three. I would expect uh, mostly, I thought Strowman was going to be back only because of his performance last year. But you know what? I think the Mets did a better job at the rotation, even without Strowman. And then, you know, getting rid of Baez. Some people wanted him back. It was a good deal. What was it? Six for 140. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a pretty good uh, deal that the Mets could have brought him back on. But I think they wanted to change the clubhouse culture. And I think that's why they, they made those moves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you look, I like what you said about the clubhouse culture because that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a lot. Like a lot of guys that get older in their careers, they're like, oh, they're not as good as they are offensively or defensively as they were when they first came up into the league but they talk about how important that that present that veteran presence is in a clubhouse like I think back to 2015 with Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe they were two guys that were on the tail end of their careers but the impact that they brought into the locker room like Terry Collins would say like it was a complete flip of the switch as to how everyone was acting and I think that sometimes with the Mets that's what they need is a, a fresh face in there. That's why I liked that Bill, a lot of people did not like Billy Epler getting hired because of stuff with the Angels. And then Buck Showalter comes in, who's never been, who hasn't been in baseball in the past couple of years just because he he was with the Orioles, then goes to MLB Network, and then comes back. So what do you speaking? Yeah, excuse me. On the topic of Buck, what do you think of the Mets bringing in Buck Showalter? Yeah, it, I think it was the perfect choice. Um, I didn't want anybody else. I thought it would have been a disappointment if Buck, if it wasn't Buck Showalter. And I, I think this team needed a leader. And you saw Luis Rojas last year. He wasn't mm -hmm. ready to be a manager mm -hmm. over the last two years. He wasn't. You know, five years from now, he might be a good manager. 
but I just felt like he got thrown into a situation that um, the players basically took over the locker room. And with Buck Showalter, that's not going to happen. Oh, He's yeah. going to be a leader. He will put his foot down. Mm-hmm. If you know, if this whole rat raccoon thing pops up somehow again with McNeil and Lindor, Buck Showalter is probably smack both of them in the face. <laughs> that's the type of guy he is. And you know, if you don't have a player that's going to step up and be a leader, you need the manager to do so. And I think Buck Showalter will have no problem doing that. And um, you see, uh, the other day in uh, before the game or during the practices uh, in spring training in the facility. He had all the guys that are most likely going to be on the roster going to opening day, and he was having a meeting with them, just talking to them, just personally. And I just think that that's a big leadership role, and you have players that respect the manager. When he makes a move, they respect it. You know, last year and the year before that with Luis Rojas, they didn't respect his moves. How many times did the pitchers, you know, have a, you know, a puss on their face mm-hmm. when he was trying, to, when he was going to take them out? They didn't respect him. They thought his moves were terrible. And even if it was analytically driven or just, you know, just going by his gut, at least with Buck Showalter, I feel like when Buck Showalter takes out uh, Jacob deGrom or even a Scherzer for that matter, you can respect the fact, even if you don't agree, that you're going to trust Buck Showalter. And that type of leadership, it's just, you just, you can't get anywhere else. And that's why I think Buck was the perfect uh, higher for the Mets. Mm-hmm. I like Buck too. I like also a little bit of the the old school vibe he brings into into it a little bit because I I think that the big thing with managers is having that gut feeling, and I think back to the uh what was it twenty the twenty twenty World Series in Game Six when Kevin Cash comes out and takes Blake Snell when he was dealing the entire time because because of the analytics and I yep. if the Mets did that I think Mets fans already have are very vocal about when they disagree with the way things are going. But I think if if the Mets were to pull something like that, I don't even I don't even want to know what would <laughs> ensue from that. I agree. 100%. <laughs> but with the pitching that the Mets have now, so they got so the rotation's looking like right now, they got DeGrom, Scherzer, Chris Bassett at that number 3, and then Taiwan Walker at probably 4 and it looks like probably Carrasco at number 5. They got a couple other names like McGill or David Peterson that they could throw in there, but it looks like right now that Carrasco is going to be the fifth guy. But when, and then you look at the Braves lineup, even though they let Freddie Freeman go, they go and get Matt Olson. Then the Phillies are going with a ju- almost juggernaut offense even though none of them can play very good defense. So how do you think the Mets pitching is going to shape up with, given the other moves that NLE's teams have made? Uh, well, we're going to need the rotation basically to, to basically show what their stat, you know, in the back of their baseball card. We need it. You know, we need DeGrom to be great. We need Scherzer to be great. And we need Bassett. We know all of them to be great. But I think uh, you see it in the playoffs. Pitching always stops a good offense. It, it basically always does in the playoffs. And even with the regular season, you know, you, you might get the Phillies, you know, score six runs a game. But with their bad defense and their, you know, their not-so-good pitching staff, you know what, they might give up eight runs and score six. So with this rotation, I think, you know, if we can keep a lot of these uh, NLEs teams, the Braves and the Phillies in particular, to like three runs a game, I think there should be no problem with the Mets the way they're uh, currently uh, situated with their lineup. Uh, with this rotation, I tell you right now, I would not be surprised every night you go out, or at least the first three guys with Scherzer, DeGrom, and 
uh, Bassett that, I mean, these guys can easily pitch a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. No matter who's uh, in the lineup. Uh, but, I mean, I do concern myself a little bit because we don't have a lefty in the rotation. Well, at least not as of yet. I mean, Peterson could make the, the rotation, but I doubt it. Um, I'd like to have at least one lefty to throw, you know, throw it a different perspective, a different look. But, I mean, you can't, you know, this is probably the best rotation in baseball on paper if everybody's healthy. I mean, Chris Bassett could be an ace on, what, 25 teams in mm-hmm. this league? And Carrasco and even Tywin Walker could be a, a, a number three just on any team. So with this rotation, I think that we're going to see uh, probably historical numbers this year, in my opinion. That's awesome. I love I love the look of this rotation as of now, with the fingers crossed that they don't LOL Mets and all get hurt. Because <laughs> I know we had, just a short time ago, we had DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, Mats, and Syndergaard, and that was supposed to be the rotation, and they only made it through the five of them in a row one time, and then that just, and only one of them is still with the team. So watch, but sticking with the rotation, the big story, besides them bring, they bring in Max Scherzer, they go and trade Bassett, then the other part that has come up in spring training was Jacob deGrom and his contract. So he is expected to opt out, which we kind of all expected. And then you have DeGrom saying he wants to be a Met for life. You have Steve Cohen saying he wants to see how the season plays out. I find it hard to believe, even if he has half of what a Jacob DeGrom season looks like, the Mets not bringing him back. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. I find it hard to believe that the Mets are going to let Jacob DeGrom go away very easily. Yeah, I mean, even if he has a bad year, say if, if it's, you know, it's a good year for a regular starter, but a bad year for Jacob DeGrom, um, if the Mets do not extend Jacob DeGrom, every Mets fan will be uh, riot, riot at City Field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crazy. Um, Steve Cohen knows what he's doing. Eplin knows what he's doing. You know, you can't let the best pitcher in baseball, you know, end up on another team. And would you be surprised if you see the Phillies try to pick him up or the Braves try to pick him up? Or the Yankees, that's the last thing we need. We already had that nonsense with the Daily News having DeGrom and Syndergaard yeah, I read on the back page. We, we don't need that. Um, I don't I don't care how much it costs. If it's $50 million a year, you pay him. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. I think uh, if he's healthy, he can have four more Cy Young awards, four more Cy Young years, easily. Uh, and now, what, what would that be, like 36 years old for him? Yeah. I think he can probably pitch just as far as Scherzer is pitching. As good as Scherzer is now at 37, I think the ground should, could be pitching just as well at that age. So, you know, I could see a five, six-year deal, and the, the Mets better sign him. That's all I know because I would be <laughs> very upset. You know what? There's not a lot of times, you know, when the Mets didn't sign Reyes, I was pissed. But this is a whole different ballgame. This guy can be an all-time – this guy is already an all-time great. With his, with his low ERA, his Cy Youngs, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins two more. Mm-hmm. And I do think the Mets definitely need to figure things out. I don't care if you got to, you know, move some payroll, even though, you know, we got the richest owner in baseball. Whatever you got to do to sign Jacob DeGrom, you worry about everything else that has to deal with the roster afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just like we did with David Wright's contract. When the Wilpons actually finally, you know, you know, found the, found the pennies on the floor and signed Wright, they, you know, they didn't really do anything else around uh, David Wright. At least I know with the Jacob DeGrom extension, which I think the Mets will do, 
I know that they're going to put a team around them. And mm-hmm. I'm not worried about that anymore. So I, I'm, I feel very confident, which is rare for Mets fans. We don't feel confident at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're waiting for the shoe to drop at any moment. And uh, I, I feel very confident that the Mets and Steve Cohen is definitely going to do everything they can to extend Jacob DeGrom. Mm. I know what I look at it. If Jacob DeGrom is wearing anything other than Origin Blue next year, that I... There are a lot of times that this team has caused me severe rage. <laughs> and I think this would definitely quickly go to the top of the list if he's pitching anywhere but City Field for the rest of his career. I I have to agree with you on that. I would I was in the mindset of thinking whatever he wants, give it to him. Because yeah. I think... And if you don't mind me saying one more thing... Um... With, with Jacob DeGrom, not even just the extension with Jacob DeGrom, but if mm-hmm. you look at next year, you know, we're not going to have Carrasco. We're not going to have Walker, you know, and Chris Bassett, I think, has one year. Uh, actually, he's a free agent after this year. So, basically, after this year, we only have Scherzer, considering that the rotation is basically gone, mm-hmm. you know, unless we sign these guys. You know, yeah, maybe David Peterson will work out, McGill will work out, but we don't know that. And, you know, besides Scherzer... He's basically the only one under contract officially after this year. So, you know, not only do we have no rotation, but you need to fill up them spots in the rotation as well. So, obviously, I don't think Jake DeGrom's going anywhere, but knowing that a couple of these guys might not even be in a rotation next year in the back end, you're going to need Scherzer and DeGrom for at least two more years, at mm-hmm. the very least. Mm-hmm. And I think, the bu- I think, if I'm not mistaken... The bullpen is the uh, the same way where a lot of g- those guys are gonna their contracts are gonna be up at the end of the year, so they're gonna have to. I but I, I would think that their top priority would be making sure Jacob Degrom goes nowhere, and then they go in there and they're like, all right, now we got to get everyone else situated. Yeah, I agree with that. But with other with other free agents that are out there still, the big topic of debate, kind of backtracking a little bit, was Conforto. So the, his everyone knew his contract was going to be up. They weren't expecting, and ex- people weren't really expecting an ex- extension because they were focusing on the Lindor extension. And then half the Mets fans basically kicking forward to the curb at, when the season ends. And now it seems a lot of them are still on that train, and a lot of them are like, bring him back, bring him back. Where do you think the the Mets should do with Conforto? Um, I'm kind of 50 50 on this. Like, I don't, I wouldn't mind Conforto coming back, but I need him on a one year deal mm-hmm. or a two year deal with an option. To a player, uh, um, a team option to just let him become a free agent or something like that because uh, I couldn't trust giving him a five-year deal, a hundred million dollars. Even though the Mets did basically offer him that, and we just found that out what a, a week ago mm-hmm. that they offered him a hundred million dollar contract before the season. And I think at this point, I think it doesn't hurt if you bring him back on a one-year, similar to the qualifying offer, like nineteen point five, twenty million, something like that. But when, if they try to get him on a four or five-year deal, I think it's crazy. I'd rather just one-year deal, a show-me type of deal. I, You know, it's hard because, you know, like you were saying, the Mets fans, a lot of them don't want Michael Conforto back after basically one bad year in his career, which mm-hmm. was last year. You know, yes, he's very inconsistent. He'll have two weeks where he can't touch the ball and then three weeks where he's raging hot. And But at the end of the day, if you look at his final stats – He'll hit 25 home runs. He'll drop, drive in 80 RBIs, batting 260. And in this lineup, there might be two guys in this lineup that can actually put up those type of numbers. And that's Alonzo and maybe Escobar. Mm-hmm. And maybe Lindor, I'm sorry. So 
I think that it's going to help this team if we bring back Conforto on a one-year deal. But, I mean, the same people who, you know, don't want to get rid of Jeff McNeil are the same people that want to get rid of Michael Conforto. But yet, Jeff McNeil, in three and a half years up in the big leagues, he had one good year and one really bad year. But they want to give Jeff McNeil another chance. But looking at Conforto's six years with the Mets, he had one bad year and five good years. But yet, Mets fans can't wait to throw him out the door. So, in my opinion, if it's a one-year deal, I do it in a heartbeat. You know, I don't. I'm not going to give him thirty million dollars, but one year, twenty mil, I think it would be perfect, and he'll fit right in this lineup. Mm-hmm. And you know who he is. Yeah, yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, looking at this roster, I think Degrom. Now that Familia's gone, I think Degrom and Conforto are or were the only two guys from the 2015 team that are still here. And if Conforto signs elsewhere, I think it'll. I'm pretty sure it'll just be Jake, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you might I don't know right. if Nimmo was up yet. Uh, Nimmo, I don't believe, was up yet. I mean, he might have been a bench guy in the playoffs. I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, he was, yeah, you're probably right, Jake DeGrom, mm-hmm. which is sad to say. It's What was that, seven years ago? Six yeah. Years, seven years ago? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I would love Conforto to stay, but it would kind of be a little, like, uh, cheerful goodbye if he did go somewhere else. I find it hard to believe that he's won't be on a roster by opening day knowing just the potential that he could bring to a team offensively I find it hard to believe he won't be at least somewhere by opening day yeah, uh, exactly and with Michael Conforto as well like you know like because he has that draft pick compensation attached to him you know there's no team that's going to give him uh, besides the Mets another team that's going to give him a one year deal because no team is going to lose a draft pick and sign a guy for one year it doesn't make sense because they can lose him after one year and it doesn't seem like he's going to get a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have signed already if he if he did. So I think the Mets are I think the Mets are just waiting until Conforto crawls back and says, "Hey, I'll take that qualifying offer, mm-hmm. uh, similar deal, one year, nineteen point five. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think I wouldn't be surprised sometime next week. I gar- I have a pretty good feeling that he's going to be wearing thirty in orange or blue, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that. I mean, I think when he first came up, I thought that he was the Mets had the the envisioned him being like, not exactly David Wright, but kind of like one of those guys. For he was kind of he was going to be originally when he came up, they thought he was going to be the guy for the foreseeable future. But then he had he threw his shoulder out, and then all the other and the inconsistencies and all that. It hasn't exactly worked out that way. But I I agree with you. I think if the Mets were able to bring him back, even if it's just on a one year deal, I think that would quickly help the or help the lineup a lot. Oh yeah, it would definitely extend the lineup for sure. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on was uh the lockout. So just shy of a hundred days, there was absolutely nothing going on. Well, supposedly there wasn't supposed to be anything going on, but that but who knows if that's actually how it went. And then the lockout ends, and all these free agent moves, uh, it's the same way with the NFL, too. Like, the new Madden is going to look a lot different with all these guys on different teams. Only the show's going to be the same way. There's so many guys that, at least I thought, were never going to leave where they were that are going somewhere else. So with the lockout, what are your thoughts on the lockout and then the free agency frenzy that and the trading frenzy that followed suit shortly after it ended? Yeah, you know, with the lockout, and I did live streams almost every day, uh, in the second, in the lock, in the coming about the two weeks before it actually ended, I did a live stream every day for four or five hours just to get updates. And 
at the end of the day, when they actually made this deal and they, they had an agreement, if you look at it, it really has it really didn't, you know, stop tanking. I mean, the A's are getting rid of everybody, the Reds are getting rid of everybody, you know, there's a lot of teams, you know, yes, the Rockies signed Bryant for that massive deal, which was insane. Um, but I, I just don't see like we could have started spring training on time, we could have mm-hmm. started March thirty first on opening day, and you know, now we have to wait until the middle of May April to have home opener with Jackie Robinson Day and Tom Seaver Day. Mm-hmm. So it's it's crazy to me because the lockout it just didn't benefit any uh, yes, the players basically won that C B A but I mean what they were trying for, you know, to better the game and not have teams tank and that was another reason why they did the draft lottery. So it gives the team an incentive to at least try to win a little bit. But at the end of the day, teams are gonna sell off players just like they always sold off players. Billy Bean is not signing a player for eight years, $160 million. He's gonna, as soon as they get arbitration eligible or a year from free agency, he's trading them. That's what he always does. And he still did it. He still did it right after the lockout. So the lockout I thought was a real waste of time. And obviously the players will tell you otherwise, but it was a waste of time. Not only did you piss off the fans, but now the animosity between the owners and the players are just worse because they don't like each other. Mm-hmm. So I just think five years from now, we're probably going to go through the same crap again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're going to be older. We're Mets fans. We're going to have gray hair, most likely, or go bald. You know, <laughs> they'll probably drive us nuts. But at the end of the day, the lockout was completely stupid, in my opinion. I think they could have figured it out much sooner. And the owners waiting 43 days to make the first uh, proposal. Kind of stupid. Uh, when it comes to the free agent frenzy and the trade frenzy, I also went live so many days in a row on that free agent frenzy and the trade rumors. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot more active in the first two or three days. But other than that, I mean, the amount of moves that all these teams made and uh, all around the league. I mean, the Rangers spent over $600 million on two guys mm-hmm. uh, in Seager and uh, what's his name? Simeon. And, you know, just around the league, you know, the Rockies actually spent money on Chris Bryant. You know, the Phillies went out there inside Schwarber and uh, Castellanos. And the Mets made a lot of moves. So, you know, among other teams. And Freeman to the Dodgers, which nobody ever thought. Olsen trade and all that. I just thought it was – it's great. And I think the way, like you were talking about with the NFL uh, free agency and even the NBA, like they had that tampering period. Mm-hmm. And they have like a, a week and a half window to make all their trades and sign-ins. I think uh, Major League Baseball, when it comes to the winter meetings, they should have a week where everything has to get done so everybody knows their roster. And you know what? It helps us when the you know MLB The Show comes out. You know, we don't have to make five trades because there's signings and trades, you know, after the game already came out. Yeah. You know, nowadays, with, you know, with technology, they can easily just, you know, put in a code and everything's fixed. But now, you know, 10 years ago, you know, you had to make all those trades and fix all those signings. And, you know, why isn't, you know, in this case, you know, like Bassett not on the Mets right now. He's still on Oakland. You have to make a trade. I know that's a little personal thing on, on my end. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do feel like um, they need to have a, a window, which, a week, a week, maybe two weeks of free agency where everybody signs so every team knows where they are. And if they don't still like their roster, they can make trades later on. I think – that winter meeting, they should have a two-week winter meeting. All the free agents sign. Everybody's focused on Major League Baseball because it's right after the Super Bowl or right around the Super Bowl. The week, I think it's the week before 
or two weeks. They usually do it in December, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they should do that. Two weeks of winter meetings, get them free agents signed, so everybody has an idea and fans can get excited because they know there's going to be news. That's that's sounds about right. Same with the uh, back to what you were saying with the lockout. With it was just so annoying, and then all of a sudden, like I think with the league when they were up there canceling games. And then they get the deal done, and they're like, oh, we're going to make up all those games with the nine-inning doubleheaders. It's like, okay, so you were just threatening to cancel games, so that way it's kind of like a scare tactic to get a deal done. But I thought that was a very horrible, horrible, whatever, however many days it was for Major League Baseball. I thought it was just, it was a perfect opportunity for them to take off and grow yeah. the game more, and it, it, it did not go that way at they all. They definitely hurt the game, especially with the... You know, the casual fan. I mean, the, the diehards are going to come. They're going to show up. Mm-hmm. We're, we're stupid. We, we, we will go in <laughs> yeah. there without, you know, without, without credit cards. Like, hey, I want to buy this. I want tickets. You know, we go crazy. But the casual fan, they don't care. And, you know, if they see this nonsense, they're going to be like, well, why am I going to waste my time? Mm-hmm. So, and that, they're losing the casual fan. And that's unfortunate because I think baseball is the best sport in the world. You know, every, everybody will say football and probably basketball now. But, I mean... Baseball is my sport, number mm-hmm. one. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing a YouTube channel for the Mets if I didn't love baseball as my number one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, baseball kind of screwed it up, and Manfred and the owners really did screw it up. But the players have a little bit to blame as well because there was deals that the owners, the proposals that the owners made to the players that I thought were somewhat fair, and they, they basically, like, thrown it in the garbage a couple of times. But they're both to blame. And I don't think they learned that lesson because in five years you're gonna probably see the same. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think, I think if the when the CBA is next up again and we have this lockout again, I have a feeling that it it might. Given how this one ended, I have a feeling it might be a lot worse yeah. next time around. Revenge. <laughs> but um, last question for you. This is the surprise I was telling you about. It's really not much of a surprise. It's more of putting you on the spot a little bit. Right. So it could be Mets related or any team in baseball related if you looking back on any game you've went to any game you've watched on tv listened on the radio whatever the case is what is the best moment Mets related or any other team too that you witness that you will just simply never forget yeah um i was with my father at the the andy chavez catch against the cardinals yeah oh you were at in the stadium i was in the loge section all the way in the back freezing my ass off and I would never forget like we couldn't see the ball when Scott Rowland hit it all you saw Andy Chavez going back and you saw him reach up and I barely seen it you know because with the loge you had the mezzanine over you mm-hmm. and you couldn't really you know see much and you just you know you either had the fan reaction or you get that little glimpse of Andy Chavez catching up I couldn't see because I was at short so I really couldn't see when everybody was standing up and just trying to see, especially when you're in that section. And all you heard was the roar of the crowd. And I never forget, me, my dad, and people I didn't even know were just hugging each other. Like, we, we already, <laughs> we've won, we're going to the World Series. Because that's the way it felt. Mm-hmm. When Andy Chavez made that catch, everybody felt that the Mets were going to uh, take the lead, go to the World Series, and win a World Series. That's the way it felt. And, you know, then we, you know... The, the Wainwright curveball to Beltran and then you know yeah like, so yeah that was the mo- that was one of my favorite moments I, mean, I could probably think of a hundred but that one for sure was that one time that 
I actually had, you know, the moment that everyone will always remember, besides the, the Kerbal to Beltran. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the epic. I wish at that time there was actually, like, more, like, real good cell phones like there is now. Because, I mean, the videos out there would have been amazing from fans. Oh, yeah. And But, yeah, that was my uh, favorite moment. Uh, unfortunately, the Mets don't give a lot of favorite moments. But mm-hmm. definitely uh, was the best experience I had at a game. And I think the the Andy Chavez catch kind of gets overshadowed because of that Wainwright curveball to Beltron. Yep. But I every year like that always comes up, and you can't help but watch. Exactly. Like that do, that just doesn't happen that way anymore. No. <laughs> but um, kind of a side question with that. I've never been. I was never able to go to Shea just because I live on the other side of New York State, so I'm about seven hours away from New York City. I've only been to City Field, so how I've heard some amazing stories about Shea. How is how was Shea? Uh, well, Shave, you know what? It was a cookie cutter type of stadium. You know, nothing. I wouldn't say there's nothing special, but it wasn't something besides the the color of the seats. You know, the red, the green, the blue, the orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in the upper deck in the top top row is something that I don't think anybody can experience unless you actually did it. Because I'll never forget. You know, sometimes when I used to go out come come from school, I used to just take the seven train go with a couple of my friends, pay like four bucks for the ticket, sit in the upper deck all the way up on top. You used to freeze because there was always a, a wind tunnel that used to make you just, you basically had to wear winter clothes mm-hmm. every time you went to Shea Stadium. And like when they talk about nosebleeds, it was definitely nosebleeds. Because <laughs> there was no doubt about it. And that was one of the best things about it. And also, uh, you know, missing that scoreboard. Mm-hmm. You know that was one. That was at the time when they built Shea. That was one of the biggest scoreboards around the country, and I I missed that scoreboard. Unfortunately, you know, obviously it's they try to keep that Mets uh, with the skyline uh, by the Shake Shack, mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool. But um, yeah, only with the the upper deck was my favorite. I always loved sitting there. Uh, the perspective of the of the planes going by and how I mean it's louder at it was louder at Shea Stadium than they are at. Uh, city field because I think they have like a different fly zone or something like that. But as Shay Stadium, you felt like if you were in the upper deck, you could touch the plane. Like that's how crazy it, high you were. But you know, it was just unique. Uh, the, you know, the colored seats, uh, the Pepsi picnic area, or whatever you want to call it at that time. That was always fun. You know, you used to get a can of Pepsi, you used to get it for free. That's mm-hmm. the way it used to be sometimes. Uh, and. Also, in the outfield, uh, they used to have a player's parking lot where you can actually just stand there and let the players just pass you in their cars. Not like now where it's basically, you know, it looks like a jail. You know, mm-hmm. you can't even get through at City Field. But, um, yeah, Shea Stadium is just a unique place. And coming off the 7 train, you have to walk the platform that they don't have anymore because of City Field. You can stand on the 7-line platform. Where, where you're walking down, right before you walk down the stairs to Shea, you can stand there and there was a little hole where you can actually see the game. And if you didn't have money, you stand there and you watch the game for a couple hours and you heard the, the announcement, the announcer uh, say the players' names, you hear the music, you hear the fans, and that was one of the best things about Shea Stadium. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, last thing, first of all, thank you again so much for, for coming on. Uh, last thing before I let you go, uh, where can anyone that's listening to this, where can they find you on social media and YouTube and all that? What's oh, all yeah. your stuff? So, uh, yeah, so on YouTube, it's just Talking Mets with Rob, uh, without the G in talking. Uh, you do that on um, TMWRNYM, 
is my Twitter account. You can follow me there. Uh, but, you know, with my YouTube channel, guys, I go live during games. And when I actually attend the game, I go live during the fifth inning to bring the the, the sounds of the game uh, for my channel and for the subscribers. So that's one thing that a lot of people liked last year when I did it. Um, and I'm going to continue that again. And obviously, I do videos on everything Mets related. So if you guys can check me out and, you know, subscribe, that would be great. Awesome. Uh, thank you again so much. This was this was a lot of fun actually. For my first interview, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad when this when this blows up, you, like I told you beforehand before we started recording, that you'll have the bragging rights of saying you were the first guest. Yes, I'll definitely have that bragging rights. <laughs> and then uh, any any time you want to come on again, feel free, and we'll definitely make it work. Yeah, man, just let me know. And you know, once in a blue moon, I usually have guests on uh, when I'm live. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, even during a live stream during a game. Or anytime, I'll, I'll hit you up. I got your email now, so I'll mm-hmm. definitely uh, email you. And if you have time, I'll have you on, man. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thank you very thank you very much again. Have a good one. You too, man. Have a good day. Thank you again to Talking Mets with Rob for coming on the podcast. Our first guest, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. Hope to have more guests on as the season goes on. Make sure you guys go check out him on YouTube and Twitter. Make sure you guys subscribe here for any more Mets content coming throughout the year. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up button. We will see you in the next one. Let's go Mets.